with luxury designer accessories, jewelry and handbags specifically, they not only hold their value, but they have a tendency to appreciate over time. That has been a huge unlock for us. Welcome to Subscriptions Scale, sponsored by Rebar Technology. Join us each week to hear from industry leaders in the subscription space, share their best tips and stories, and learn how you can up-level your subscription business today. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Subscription Scaled. I'm your host, Nick Frederick. With me today is Adriel Darvish, who is the co-founder and CEO at Switch. Adriel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, let's, of course, start at the beginning here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about how you came to start Switch. Absolutely. Switch is a luxury accessory rental subscription. And members can borrow designer handbags and jewelry from the likes of Chanel, Gucci, Dior, Hermes, hang on to it for as long as they want and exchange it as often as they want. Our plans start at $55 a month. Members also accrue purchase credit for each month that they're a member, which they can use towards buying anything that they fall in love with. Awesome. What made you in particular want to start a jewelry rental subscription business? Sure. It's, it's an interesting story. I'm actually a lawyer by trade. And my brother, who is my first co-founder, is an investment banker, was an investment banker doing m and advisory in the fashion and apparel space. And the two of us always had that entrepreneurial itch, that desire to build something from the ground up. The inspiration for Switch actually came from our mom, who's a jewelry designer. The light bulb moment was actually several years ago when she had sold a necklace to a friend of hers. A week later, we see that friend wearing said necklace at a party. And she is flaunting it, proudly talking about how much she loves it, showing it off. A week later, our mom casually tells us that this friend of hers had returned the necklace. And my reaction was one of anger, feeling like this person had taken advantage of my mom and that she should have stood her ground in declining the return rather than now being stuck with this used necklace that she'd have to resell. And my mom's response was, what's the big deal? It's still as good as new. Jewelry doesn't really get And that was the light bulb moment where it dawned on me that she was right. Jewelry and really luxury accessories on the whole are one of the few products out there that can be used again and again and really stay as good as new. Realize that it's the perfect product for the rental model, not only because it's so uniquely durable, but also because it's small. So it's easy and inexpensive to store and ship. For the most part, you don't really have to deal with sizing issues. And then you're also talking about tangible assets with real value, which present a lot of interesting financing opportunities. To make a long story short, my brother and I basically dropped everything we were doing, moved into an apartment together, and launched an MVP version of Switch. And when I say MVP, truly a minimum viable product, a super bare bones, janky website. Half of the jewelry was basically excess inventory my mom had. And the other half were actually pictures of pieces that we didn't even own. We put those pictures on the site. And when someone would order it, 
We drive to Saks Fifth Avenue, buy it at retail, bring it home, pack it, ship it, and really doing everything A to Z, just the two of us. And we did it that way early on because we wanted to make sure that there was an appetite for what we were building before going out and raising money. Right off the bat, we could tell that there was. People were really excited about the product. The response was really overwhelming. And so we used that early traction to raise money, first and foremost from friends and family. And one of the first people we went to was our childhood friend, Liana Kadisha, who had previously founded a gaming company and was making DC investments with her father, Neil Kadisha. Lucky for us, Liana really fell in love with the model to being one of our earliest backers and biggest backers, she joined us as our third co-founder as well, really the, the missing piece, that sounding team. And the rest is history. And the rest, as they say, is history. So a lot of questions right there. First thing that struck out to me was in software world and in subscriptions, we talk about MVP all the time when you're starting new projects or new businesses. And it's often a very subjective term, right? What's MVP can, to one person might not be to another, but it sounds like you have truly defined, <laughs> you guys went all the way down to just what can we just barely get out into the market with and then figure out the business mechanics later that had to have been a scary time. Exactly. It was scary, but it was also a lot of fun. I have a safe under my bed where I'd hold the pieces. And look, we never wanted to fool ourselves. The way we look at it is people are responding well to this version of the product to this admittedly ugly website and it's going well, then it's going to do even better when we actually put time resources into developing it, building it out, building a brand. So it actually made things less scary. When we saw that the response was so positive, despite all of the limitations, it actually gave us a lot of confidence about what we were doing and what the potential was. And that resonated with investors as well. Yeah. So first of all, how did you get that early response? Was it all word of mouth? Were you doing marketing in the early days? We weren't doing marketing. We had Instagram, which we were growing organically, our Instagram account. We were able to get a tiny bit of press. Again, we didn't have a PR team. I was cold emailing journalists, scraping the internet for their email addresses and telling them, hey, I'm the founder of Switch. This is what we're doing. Would you be interested in covering us? And so we were able to get one or two write-ups when we were still very much an MVP working out of our apartment. And that was the way we got our initial cohort of customers. And word of mouth from there helped us grow early on before we really started marketing. Gotcha. So very scrappy in those early days. Oh, yeah. Super scrappy. And it's really tried to maintain that ethos even as we've grown, but it was really on another level of scrapping as well. <laughs> Sounds like it. You said you were able to pull inventory from your mother's collection and go out and buy it as you need it. But for you guys to really scale this business, you need to have those physical assets, right? So how have you grown up that inventory and things you've been able to offer over time? And I'm sure that's changed quite a bit in terms of how you procure this stuff. Yeah, definitely. So early on, having these relationships, this network of vendors that my mom had established through her time in the business 
was super helpful. It's definitely a leg up having those relationships in place and, and being able to buy from them. But as we grew, we met several other vendors just really by hustling and networking and trying to get to know as many people as possible. And so we met a few vendors abroad that specialize in wholesaling luxury, vintage accessories. So we've been mostly purchasing from them and really trying to build on that network. And it's interesting, you mentioned the word assets, because that's exactly how we view these products. We actually don't really like to use the word inventory because typically inventory suggests that these are products that devalue over time. And the with luxury designer accessories, jewelry and handbags specifically, they not only hold their value, but they have a tendency to appreciate over time. And that has really been a huge unlock for us and a really huge driver of our growth in that it's allowed us to pursue financing for a lot of these assets. In an ideal world, you're not using equity to buy up most of these assets. Equity is being used for growth and for tech and other elements of the business. But we've been able to put together some interesting financing arrangements from banks and other types of partners that have helped us scale up our assets, which has really been great. And the amazing thing about this business is we're able to make a great return through renting them out. Typically, in fact, the margins we make through rentals are better than purchases. Eventually, when we want to, we're able to then sell the product typically for significantly more than we bought it for. And this is after renting it out for a couple of years. So there is data out there that suggests luxury accessories are on par with real estate and the S&P 500 in terms of appreciation, which is really awesome and something we're excited about and really leaning into. Yeah. As you were describing it there, this is sounding very synonymous to real estate in my mind. It's a physical asset. You're going out and purchasing and then having somebody else effectively pay for it. While all while this asset is at least holding its value, if not appreciating in and of itself. So even if you have to go out and finance these assets, that probably still makes sense. Absolutely. That's spot on. Exactly. We view a lot of similarities between us and real estate. There is often opportunities to add value. We might buy pieces that are slightly distressed and then rehab them, which makes them more valuable as well. But yeah, that's exactly what makes our business so unique. There really isn't anything out there outside of, of real estate that holds its value the way that luxury accessories do. If you look at electronics, they tend to go obsolete over time. That furniture tends to get worn and stained. You name it, nothing holds its value the way that luxury accessories do. Yeah, interesting. Certainly your customers don't think about it that way, right? They're probably looking at it as I can't afford the stuff or I don't want to lay out that much cash for this sort of luxury item in advance all up front, but I would still love to have this stuff. So talk to us about your target customer, what they're looking for and how they differ from maybe the traditional luxury goods buyer. Definitely. So interestingly, 
our customers, you don't necessarily say that they can't afford to buy luxury items. They actually can't. They tend to be highly educated, young, professional women who have a pretty high income as well. And in fact, are already accustomed to purchasing luxury handbags and jewelry. The reason they use Switch is more so because they recognize that it's better value to pay $55 a month or $195 a month, depending on which plan you choose for this limitless rotation of luxury accessories rather than spending thousands of dollars on something that you might get sick of within months, if not weeks. And so the prototypical Switch customer is extremely savvy. Their detector is top-notch. They are super pragmatic and they recognize value when it's there. That also ups the bar for us in terms of how we treat them and how we communicate with them. It's really important to us to respect intelligence. And that's a big part of our marketing communications, our customer service, and everything we do. So how do you find these sorts of customers of yours? I assume you still rely pretty heavily on word of mouth, but what other channels have you guys implemented since launching? So the way we look at marketing is that first and foremost, it's all about water. You know, we go to work every day with the goal of building a product and a service that our members are so excited about that the product sells itself or that they want to share Switch with their friends and their family. That's where it all starts. And so about 65 to 70% of our growth is through referrals and organic And the other 30 to 35% is paid. The paid acquisition is mostly just Instagram and TikTok. We don't have a super high marketing budget. So to us, it makes more sense to keep it more concentrated in a couple of channels that we know perform well, rather than spreading ourselves too thin. We've been super fortunate in that for the most part, demand hasn't been an issue for us. We actually currently have a wait list up for our higher tier membership select, which is $195 a month, because we are trying to catch up with the demand and and acquire more supply. We know that as we continue to grow, that marketing will have to be more diversified. It will have to be acquiring customers through several other channels. But at the end of the day, we think product is where it starts and, and the most important aspect to have a company that has strong growth. The way we look at it, if we're spending too much money on acquiring customers, that's an indictment on the product itself and not necessarily on our marketing strategy. So in general, our first response when we see that CAC is going up is we go back to the product and we say, hey, how can we improve our service? We get on the phone with our members. We ask them, how can we improve Switch? That's worked really well for us. We've seen, for instance, that the better our offering, the better our variety, the lower our customer acquisition cost goes. We're constantly playing this game of trying to maintain as strong of a selection as possible to our members while also trying to grow at a healthy clip. Yeah. 
what a good problem to have that you actually have to turn off one of your plans because you're trying to get caught up on the other end. I think a lot of uh, business owners would be envious to have that sort of problem. Yeah, we feel super fortunate. That's our biggest challenge right now. Both the upfront cost to acquire these assets is high. That's something to keep in mind as well. Yeah. So again, since your model's a little bit different, you're buying assets, not inventory that are just going to come off of a shelf and go out the door. The way you would finance a business like that, I would think would be pretty different. So when you guys are looking to grow like that, are you out looking for typical and VC investors or angel investors, or are you really looking for financing partners? It's actually both. So we have raised money from VCs and institutional investors and some really awesome angels as well. And we've used most of that funding towards building out our team, the operations and infrastructure, which is definitely no easy feat. And then when it comes to financing the assets, it's been mostly other sources. We have a bank loan. They've been really awesome partners to us. We've had a couple of other alternative financing partners that have also helped us grow that side. So we're actually gearing up for our next fundraise and we plan on approaching it similarly. We plan to raise equity to build out other elements of the business, not spending a huge percentage of that on acquiring assets, but then supplementing that equity raise with more financing and debt to build out the supply side. Are any of your suppliers interested in kind of financing some of what they're putting in? A great question. Yeah. It's a great question. They've been reluctant so far. And it has to do in part with their own business models. A lot of the people that we acquire from are essentially middlemen. So they don't have that ability. But we're actually books with a couple of potential partners that may fill that role. I think it makes a ton of sense on their end as well when you look at the business and the potential returns there. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at auto manufacturers and rental car companies, right, them putting them in those inventories so that they can be rented and people can decide whether or not they like this stuff can ultimately lead to more sales, right? Because people get comfortable with their product. So you would have to think, at least some of them are sitting there thinking, wow, this is a great way to get our product in the hands of more people. That's right. That's spot on. Exactly. Okay, well, use my quote when you go back to them. (laughs) You got Will do. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about, first of all, take a step back. What year did you actually launch? So we launched in 2017. And then we really hit our stride in 2019. We quadrupled over the course of the year, firing on all cylinders, acquiring customers, at an incredible rate and really having VCs lined up at the door, reaching out to us, wanting to fund us. So that was a really exciting time for us. Yeah. And then 2020 rolls around. We're gearing up for our... 2019 would have been the perfect time to hit your stride, right? Before all that. Exactly. So we were actually gearing up to do a big fundraising round and then... COVID hit. It hit like a ton of bricks. It was really difficult, especially initially. There were a lot of people writing us off, expecting us to fool because other fashion rental companies actually weren't able to survive the pandemic. A lot of them 
it shut down and a lot of others were pushed to the brink. Initially, members were dropping off like flies. Customer acquisition costs shot way up and it was scary. The first thing we did is we took stock of the members that were still engaging with Switch and still using the service and signing up for the service despite the lockdown and hopped on the phone with them, tried to get a better understanding of their use case. Why were they using Switch when they're stuck at home? And one of the big answers that we kept hearing was that jewelry still gets seen when I'm in Zoom meetings or on virtual dates especially necklaces and earrings. And so that was one of the big reasons that people were using Switch. And we saw that the data backed that up, that suddenly rings and bracelets were not very popular, necklaces and earrings were flying. We changed our messaging to orient it around that and changed our marketing to make it more so about that as well. And we also realized that there was a large group of people that were using Switch as a way to play dress up at home during the, the pandemic as a source of fun. And especially amongst influencers and creators, Switch became especially popular during the, the peak of the pandemic because it's such a great tool for content creation. But with all that said, COVID was still really hard. You know, we took a step back and accepted the probability that we weren't going to be doubling every few months anymore, that we were going to have to grow at a more sustainable, slow and steady pace. We really readopted that same mentality that we had when we launched Switch out of our apartment, became super scrappy and cash efficient. That really helped us weather the storm. Fortunately, we were still able to grow significantly and then really hit our stride again the past seven or eight months when we launched our higher end membership select, which provides access to luxury designer handbags and, and higher end jewelry with an average retail of about $4,000. COVID forced us to, like I said, become a lot more scrappy. Everyone wore a lot of different hats and covered for each other. We've maintain that same approach even now. And I think it's a huge reason for our success. Our head of social media also does our copywriting and is involved in merchandising. Our director of operations has a hand in finance and customer service and will even make suggestions on the marketing front. Our creative director is also our graphic designer, our web designer, our art director. And luckily, everyone really embraces uh, this mentality and enjoys being involved in so many different facets of the business. So that's really been great. And I believe a huge reason for our success, for our ability to, to survive COVID, but also for our success, especially recently. Would you say now you're back to the growth pattern that you had pre-COVID? Yes. In terms of our trajectory, we are. 
But our approach hasn't really changed to one where we are suddenly just burning through cash. Fortunately, we achieved profitability and did so much sooner than a lot of other startups would in their life cycle. We are trying to continue really having that explosive growth, but maintaining that profitability and having a sustainable business. The way I look at it is the goal with Switch is still to be the premier destination for experiencing luxury accessories to one day become a billion dollar business and fully disrupt the luxury space. That goal doesn't have to come at the expense of a business that's healthy and sustainable. It's always been important to us to not be reliant on the next round of funding for survival. It's one thing to be reliant on funding for growth, but not survival. And so we've really gained that mentality and we're happy that we've done so, especially with the way things have turned with economy and and all of the unexpected things that arise. What would you say have been some of the biggest lessons learned or challenges as you guys have scaled up your business? Aside from the asset and inventory side that we've already talked about, but has it been technology? Has it been people process? Has it been learning how to better retain customers and communicate with them? Walk us through some of those those things that you've learned along the way. Yeah, in building out the infrastructure, the operations of the business, there was no off-the-shelf solution for our business model. We are part subscription, part rental, part e-commerce. We have to track items not only on a style basis, but also on a unit basis to have a clear picture of the chain of custody of each item, where it's been, who borrowed it. We're talking about expensive, high-ticket items, having really strong security in place, being able to vet for fraud and high-risk customers, having recourse in place in the event of damage or loss. So all of these operational intricacies have been very challenging, but I would also say that they are a big part of our moat. It's something that we've been building on constantly from when we launched and something that I expect us to continue iterating on as we continue to grow. It's a never-ending process. The infrastructure, I assume you're also talking about your technology. You you were saying your website you originally stood up was lackluster to use some of your own words, but how have you grown there as well with the technology? Have you looked to outsource it, build it yourself? What kind of your path there? Most of our devs are overseas. We have a really awesome team in India that we've been working with now for quite a while and they do a great job. But that's supplemented with our team here, especially in terms of product design. I'm personally super involved, me and my co-founder that's super involved on the product side and, and the user experience. We have an awesome head of product who manages the devs as well. It's definitely been a challenge as a founder without its technical background. It's been no easy feat, but fortunately, there are a lot of super talented, great people out there that have helped us reach this point. So what's next for you guys? And one thing I specifically want to ask you about, you were saying you introduced these higher tiers, these more expensive tiers more recently, and have actually had to pause them. So given that you are a luxury brand, are you thinking, hey, this is going well, maybe we keep climbing that ladder and offering even higher and higher end plans? Yeah. 
definitely we want to continue to build out this select membership be hired here we barely scratched the surface there and the demand there has really been tremendous and that's average four thousand dollar price point there are so many different types of pieces that we can carry we have discussed a longer term bigger picture having even higher tiers where members can access items with an average retail value of say $10,000. But for now, we have more than enough to chew on with our core and select services. We only launched handbags about six, seven months ago. And the demand on that side has really been tremendous. So uh, that's going to be a bigger focus for us, especially in the near term. But again, long-term big picture, the vision here is to change the way that people experience luxury to really become synonymous with accessing luxury designer accessories and really change the default behavior from one of ownership when it comes to luxury accessories to one of renting and experiencing luxury accessories. Yeah. Sounds like you guys are well on your way to doing that. So congratulations on all the success so far. I guess for any of our listeners today who may have had questions about what we talked about or want to learn more about Switch, where are the best places for them to go? Yeah, our website, joinswitch.com. And then also our Instagram and TikTok accounts at Switch on Instagram and TikTok. A lot of great content and great information there. Awesome. Adriel, again, appreciate the time today and, and sharing your journey and how you guys have grown this business. Certainly interesting and you guys are well on your way. So thanks again so much for taking the time today. Thanks so much, Nick. Really appreciate it. This is great. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Subscription Scaled, sponsored by Rebar Technology. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network. 